Do you remember once we were driving in the car and I had one of my work meetings on and people were talking about like business results and forecasts and analysis and stuff and you were like this is so calming i would listen to this as a podcast yes and oh yes i forgot i want to oh, i want to recapture that yes yeah. the only problem is that most places wouldn't let you do that because it's all confidential business results stuff you'd like get caught for insider trading or something if you ever did that but but it would be if you could find it and have it dated so there's no longer mm -hmm. you know what you should do you should call into a lot of these big companies that are publicly traded have earnings calls and stuff when they each quarter have to invite all their shareholders to uh, to like a big conference call and you can call in and listen to them go over results can i speak <laughs> I can just ask for more metrics. And, I, don't, and, and, I don't know if you can speak. Maybe well, while my hands companies. run up and down Maybe my thighs. Maybe if you're a really important shareholder, but I don't think if you're just like one of the gazillions of people Is who have a... some Disney stock that you're allowed to talk at them. But anyway, but um, I was reminded of that because I was reading this food industry story about the Consumer Analyst Group of New York Cagney Conference in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, so all these big like packaged food brands all get together and like talk about their consumer analyst information and their plans for the future. Um, because it has so much of that like marketing business speak. And like I do Whoa. find it kind of soothing. You imagine the panels. It's so insane, but I do find it kind of soothing the way that they talk about stuff. It's funny to me. Uh, the overarching story from food companies has centered on a return to normal. After a year of ozempic fears settling in, a pullback in consumer spending amid higher prices, and a few lingering post-COVID supply chain issues, food execs were eager to move the narrative forward. Um, so they want to stay on track. Do, do, do. Here are the major trends Yahoo Finance noticed on the ground. That's where I found this article. All eyes on volume. Food execs are focused on volume recovery as Americans have scaled back how much they're buying because of high prices. So basically, long story short, even though some of the food brands are making as much money as they want to be making, right. they're selling buying... less stuff Yes, because the stuff is more expensive. So leaders at General Mills in ConAgra were hesitant to comment on whether fiscal 2025, which begins in June, could be a return to growth in line with long-term targets. Hershey and Mondelez called out price pack architecture, which uses different sizes and price points as a potential growth lever. Honey, what's another word for price pack architecture that we've heard in the news a lot lately? Uh, Using different sizes and price points. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> what's it called? Price pack architecture? Price pack architecture. That's great. Which uses different sizes and price points as a potential growth lever. We've always capitalized on having different price points, different pack sizes, so there's that accessibility for everyone. Oh, man. Hershey I CEO Michelle Buck said to the crowd. Oh, any of these were uh, oh these terms are just terrible and I know that they're marketing terms I understand it that they, you know it's a lot of it's for efficiency but a lot of it is such show pony um you know uh performance Ugh. Meanwhile, Kellogg is taking a different approach by providing value through nutrition an idea CEO Gary Pilnick believes will stick around. Um we go through different business cycles, different fads, different nutrition demands. There's something in each of those trends for cereal. In the fourth quarter, Kellogg's revenue decreased by 2.7%, reflecting a 10% volume decline offset by price increases. Pilnick explained that affordable protein sources open up a new frontier for the cereal maker, which spun off from uh, Kellogg's snack business last year. In an interview with Yahoo Finance, he reiterated that cereal demand is durable as consumers' preferences change. 
he added a focus on nutrition, also opens up the premium market for K- Kellogg, shown by the company's Eat Your Mouth Off brand, the first cereal of its kind with 22 grams of plant-based protein and zero sugar. Okay, so we have price pack architecture. That was one trend. How many um, breakout rooms for that? <laughs> innovating with new flavors, packaging, and marketing. Is it- that could be interesting. Yeah. This one I'd like to go to. Reimagining classics was another key strategy execs pointed yeah, to. They held up flavor innovation as one tactic. You know, I wonder about that because, you know, they say that the big brand names also duplicate their stuff to off brand, but there's no. There's no Ritz cracker as good as a Ritz cracker. True. It's like the Zitz cracker and the Pitts cracker and the Schlitz cracker all look like it. They're all in similar packaging, but they're never as good. Yeah. Some of these places have like a... Just what do they dilute the, the off-brand stuff? Sometimes. Make sometimes, them they, sometimes they use cheaper ingredients and stuff. That's amazing. Um, they held up flavor innovation as one tactic. Uh, Pelnick said that uh, the company saw success in bringing back customers with strawberry frosting. Who do you flakes. think is the cock of the walk in this convention? <laughs> I mean, I'd say ConAgra's, Hershey's, all no, those ones they're mentioning. But as specific brand directors. Um, I don't know. Who do you think? I think if you're Bill Flanagan, CEO of Doritos, you're like, people are addicted to our crap. They're just going to keep coming for the blue ones and the red ones. And there's nothing... They're not immune from doing flavor innovations and stuff, too. No, I know they're not. I know they're not. But it's been a perennial all-star for a long time. Yeah. Dorito. No, it used to be an all-star that's just... I don't even know if it exists anymore. It's Fritos. Yeah, no, people like Fritos still. Really? I don't even see them in the... They're there. They're a smaller bag. They don't sell them in as big a bag because they're so, Mm. like, dense. How come the crackle never has gotten to live with the adults? The chocolate bar? Yeah. Yeah, you can buy a full-size No, you crackle. can't. Yes, you can. No, you cannot. They only come in minis. There's no crackle out there. Mm, I don't believe that, but it, we'll it look it true. up later. Anyway, what I wanted to tell you is that I think that these flavor innovations are kind of gimmicky and that they don't have staying power. You know, like, I mean, I get it that it's like this little bump that you get, but we have a full box of like blueberry muffin flavored mini wheats downstairs or something that's are those moving that was the broken uh, section the honeycombs went faster i have to oh say oh my god that was a family size too that was huge yeah. um pilnick said the company saw success bringing back strawberry frosted bringing back customers with strawberry frosted flakes and the return of chocolate frosted flakes meanwhile jm smucker said it's adding raspberry uncrustables to its lineup in september as it aims to deliver 800 million dollars in net sales for its uncrustables brand this fiscal year the new flavor is part of a larger effort to lean into a flavor for every day of the week. The company also announced that its Jif peanut butter brand will launch a peanut butter and chocolate spread this summer. Over 70% of peanut butter this buyers... This has been tried many times before. <laughs> I remember this in the early 80s. They had this peanut butter... Well, you say peanut butter and chocolate? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I meant peanut butter and jelly. That's interesting. Over 70% of peanut butter buyers are not purchasing a chocolate flavor spread today, and we anticipate this innovation will be highly incremental to the brand, J.M. Smucker CEO Mark Smucker said. Just think, this, these, are, <laughs> these are by next season when most of these fail, these are like jobs lost. You are fired. These are going to be all over the broken section. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Packaging innovation offers another opportunity. PepsiCo chairman... I love the fact that, in, you learned this early on in marketing... There's never problems. 
There's only opportunities. That's it. Of course. Oh, the word opportunity gets thrown around in my work so much. Anyway, but packaging innovations, it is, packaging can be very important. There was, um, I was seeing some video online about the redesign of the Heinz ketchup cap and the millions of dollars of like design engineering that goes into that. In I the saw plastic. that too and I didn't understand the um, the diagram. What's happening with the cap? Is it like, does it suck? It's like, no, it's just about the the structural integrity of it to make sure it has strength it has that like good snap that opens all that takes oh, a yeah. ton of like engineering yeah, of yeah. like the right amount and type of plastic can and i all be that honest with you thickness yeah one of the biggest heartbreaks daily heartbreaks of my life is with especially squeezable bottles like ketchup etc mm -hmm. is feeling like I, there's some left in there and I can't get it. And I've I'm got sorry. I've got several designer spatulas meant to get every last bit. But if somebody could eradicate that with some kind of like bottle vacuum or something, so that every last bit can be gotten out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, when I used to work in expensive skincare, sometimes people, if we had like plastic packaging, would like cut open the packaging and use it. Yeah, inside. yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. for that. Um. So packaging innovation offers another opportunity. Uh, PepsiCo chairman and CEO Ramon LaGuarta said the company has invested in updating its packaging for portion control and portability as customers snack more throughout the day. Honey, what does it mean to update your packaging for portion control and portability? Uh, that means make it smaller? Mm -hmm. Portion control. We want to make sure that consumers can find us in many more occasions, he said. Pepsi is also leaning into powders and tablets, giving consumers the opportunity to find Gatorade or use Gatorade in a much different way. Oh, tablets? So in other words, just add water? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I guess we're, yeah, I guess we're a powder family. Food giants are also re-engaging consumers through marketing campaigns with new partners. Hershey, for example, excited the Cagney Conference crowd by bringing in NBA legend Shaquille O'Neal to announce a partnership to win in the gummy segment, the fastest growing sweets segment. I don't get it. I am not of these times. I never understood the gummies. I know you love it. Shaquille O'Neal. They're going to win in the gummy segment. This is why I love <laughs> this terminology. It makes me so happy. ConAgra Brands, meanwhile, shared that Dolly Parton's baking line is expanding to frozen shelves. We talked just about saw that her on stuff yesterday in the cookie before. aisle. Um, companies are looking for partnerships beyond grocery store shelves, too. They're trying to tap into the market for dining away from home, which has seen prices continue to grow. McCormick launched a limited time offering with McDonald's in February for the McSpicy sandwich in the UK with Frank's Red Hot Sauce. Mm. And it has teamed up with Wendy's to launch a breakfast burrito served with Cholula ooh, Hot Sauce. Ooh, ooh. We're excited to continue to leverage our brands and our hot and spicy flavors to further penetrate menus and add the heat in away from home channels. McCormick CFO away Michael from home Smith channels. She'd be incarcerated for four months just for saying that. And then there's buzz around mergers and acquisitions as well. So the there's nothing solid on that really, but you know there could be more of that. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's. That's the food industry and where they are right now. I I enjoyed that. It makes me happy. Oh, that's great. I like them penetrating away from home channels and mm. bringing the heat. Same here. I want to talk to you about something about packaging. And okay. I've got a, I've had a um Epiphone. Yep. It simply isn't worth doing the side work yourself at home for us it's just, it's just simply not worth it 
It's not worth it. Is this why you've been buying the pre-cut market basket vegetables? Yeah, that's exactly right. The pre-cut vegetables. So I'm going to do stir fry today with uh, rotten section meat and pre-cut vegetables. Um, with the with the, I've been getting the pre-cut um, pre-diced uh, onions, which are you know it's like two two eighty or whatever to for a package, which is essentially two onions, but it's still worth it. One, they do a good job. Two, it's right there. It's easy. It's Time not units. that expensive, honestly. It's I not. mean, it's more expensive than the bag of onions, but yeah. You're right. And then there's some lossage if there's a bag of onions. Like, for instance, I bought a couple weeks ago, like, lemons, and those are, although they last forever in the fridge, but, you know, they're not going to be used. There's the, um, we found the Walmart salads are two forty nine. these little salads. Great. Our kids love that stuff. Yeah. It's great. They're just, I am absolutely... I'm, I'm, uh, although I don't mind making you, like, I'll make you another salad today, like, with all that romaine that we have. But, um, but there's just simply not enough time to, to do the intricate stuff, especially when we're in, like, pitch battle here with, with five, well, four kids. Oh, yeah. Here. And if it gets everybody to eat more vegetables, I'm all for it. Yes. Anytime. I think it's a winner. Um, I wanted to, um, talk to you about threatened puddings. Oh, please. Um, this was a tweet I saw from the apple growing county of Worcestershire comes a Georgian dish, Malvern pudding. This is a caramelized sugar topped apple pudding with a creamy custard filling flavored with cinnamon, which in 2010 was said to be one of the 10 most threatened puddings. Now, of course, in England, pudding just means dessert. Is that true? I didn't know that. Yeah. So in like in the pre translated to American Harry Potter books. All the yeah. desserts are pudding, and the sweaters are jumpers, and things like that. Really? So pudding's not pudding? Pudding doesn't literally mean pudding in England. It means what we would call dessert. Huh. Who knew? So, but I just... So, cake is pudding? Yeah. Because in The Hobbit, they're eating lots of cakes. Yeah, but it's a type of pudding. I might have to challenge us. Um, so Malvern pudding is a traditional pudding from the English town of Malvern. So it's a baked dish and it's apples or other seasonal fruit with a custard filling. Ooh, sounds good. And, um, and so this was on, this is an old article, but I just happened across this and I, I don't know how threatened the puddings are, but, um, they, the Guardian did this article on, um, like, these foods that are going out of fashion that are classic British foods. Classic dishes which stiffened the backbone and upper lip of Britain in days gone by are set to vanish from the nation's larder, according to a survey of changing food tastes. Jugged hair, brawn, and junket are unknown to the overwhelming majority of under-25s, who also shudder when confronted with many of the recipe's down-to-earth ingredients. Um... At the top of the endangered list is bath chops, details of which appeared in the first English recipe book in 1769. I don't want anything. That's, <laughs> that's from the days when there was like oyster cocktails. Back then, cooled pig's cheeks plus half the jawbone and tongue and breadcrumbs were key to the national diet. Not today. Only 1% of under 25s knew Can about Can you imagine anything worse than 18th century English food? 
<laughs> Anything. Similarly, jugged hair, boiled and served with hair, blood, and port. Was I'm once, assuming that's rabbit, but I'm, I can't yeah, be sure. Was once part of the staple diet. It was immortalized in Hannah Glass's 18th century book, The Art of Cookery, which starts its jugging recipe in early editions with the sage advice, first catch your hair. But only 1.6% of young people had heard of it, and 70% of young people said they would refuse to eat either the hair or the chops. My goodness. As memorialized by Watership Down, Alice. Uh, I don't think so. You surprised I know that book? I am surprised you know that book. Yeah. It got an award, I know that. So the ten most, so the t that was part of the uh, ten most endangered savories: bath chaps, jugged hair, brawn, squirrel casserole, Bedford brawn, brawn. What's that? I don't know what brawn is. It doesn't say. Squirrel casserole. Squirrel casserole. <laughs> Bedfordshire clanger. Oh, that's fantastic. Scrag end of mutton with kidneys. How many squirrels does it take? I didn't even know England had squirrels. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Bedfordshire clanger, the scrag end of mutton with kidneys. Pan haggerty. Fried onions and potatoes. It's, it's plausible. Hogs pudding. Oh, okay. Tripe and here onion. We, here we go. You know what? It, oh, tripe. Ooh, it's not good tripe. Tripe and onion. So I I stand by, I stand corrected. England does have squirrels. They don't have raccoons. Ah. Ah. Um, a word that I can't say because it's an anti-gay slur. <laughs> and then <laughs> trust the British. And then bread and dripping. There's a there's a, a crusted queer, Alice. Is that what you're saying? No, it starts with an F. <laughs> Imagine going to that restaurant and it's on the menu. I think there's a reason why a lot of authentic British restaurants don't take off in the United there States. There was some kind of forbidden word trade that happened with that that word <laughs> for them and here um, the word fanny that we have made okay here, but which is absolutely not okay over there. Right. Um, and then the 10 most threatened puddings are calf's foot jelly, junket. I am now on team Messerschmitt uh, for World War II in bombing London. How dare <laughs> you London, people? You're for the London blitz. Calf's foot pudding. <laughs> what a jerk. Junket, Sussex pond pudding, which is suet and lemon. How English is that? Kentish pudding pie, rice and pastry. Uh, Dorset dumplings, which is apples and suet. This is the you the you know this is um uh what's her name who wrote Harry Potter? J.K. Rowling. Did she consult this for all the names of all the kids <laughs> and all the schools and all the professors? <laughs> this is how British people just talk all the time. I assume Dorset dumplings. I used to work for when I was a ship's photographer. I worked for mm -hmm. the um um it was a British it was London Photography Associates whatever I forgot what it was was but they were, it was an English company out of London. Um, and, um, my boss, of course, was a proper Englishman with proper tea every day and proper ale every night. He was, he was absolutely just a, he was a, totally a har hobbit and he lived, um, in, uh, the North of England in a place called, of course it had to be Gringley on the Hill. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Paul uh, Hargrave, uh, hello. Well, by the way, I bet while well, he was there, he was eating lardy cake and Simnel cake. Great guy, all of them are great. Malvern guys. pudding, which is what started me off down yes. this rabbit hole. Singing hinny. Not hair hole, right? Because no. that's also on the menu. Uh, Singing hinnies, which is a fried scone and spotted dick. Yeah, which, of course, is a perennial punchline in every American grocery store and somehow available in all American grocery stores in a can. 
Right, or at the British import store, which I also love. They, most of those things are not available in the British import store because they would not fly off the shelves in the United States. Yeah, or, yeah. And we haven't bought it. It's just bread, I think, right? Yeah, it's like it's like bread soaked in stuff. Yeah. How about Welsh rarebit? Is that in there? Um, Always a winner. No. I never knew what the hell that was. But there was but a poem in a book I read as a kid that I used to love that said, The vaunted Welsh of all degrees have one delightful habit. They cover toast with melted cheese and call the thing a rabbit. <laughs> it made me so happy. You are a unique lady, Alice. What is that supposed to mean? It stuck with me all these years because it, it did sound like a delightful habit. Um, Do you want to hear the most popular English foods? Yes. Most popular British dishes in the UK. This is such a disappointment. It's going to be like a curry or something now. No, well, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. No, this is uh, this is the anglified version. This is traditional. Yes, roast chicken. Fair. Boo, boo, boo. Chips, which is fries. Right. Which is um, fine. It's perfectly. And do you know what they call chips? Crisps. Crisps. Fish and chips. And cookies. Three. Fish and chips is, is what do always... they call cookies? I don't know. Biscuits. Oh, okay. Um, English breakfast. No, this is all unremarkable. Mm-hmm. Number five is mashed potatoes. Ugh. Number six. This is yours. Is soup. That's <laughs> your most famous dish. Number seven is bangers and mash, which is sausage and potatoes. I think, right? Isn't that bangers and mash? Um, I'm pretty sure that's what that is. Yes, yes. Rashers is bacon, and bangers is sausages. I'm pretty sure. Number eight is roast beast, also just not great. <laughs> not great. So I happened across a theory on social media that some of like the Twitter health food people were talking about mm-hmm. um, as a potential theory, which may be like why or part of why British food is so lame, um, which is that their theory is that everywhere you go in the world, lower class people eat spicier food. And it's because like the capsaicin that's in the... Um, hot peppers has antimicrobial property. Yes. So if I you're this. eating lower quality foods that like might be about to turn or just isn't as from as high quality food sources that you're going to like throw a bunch of spice in it. And not only does that like cover up the lower quality, but it also, you know, it also has properties that make you less likely to like die of food poisoning or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I, I, it certainly feels right to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it makes sense even like junk food, like the junk food that's in American grocery stores, like you just mentioned Doritos and stuff like that. The stuff that's junk, they're throwing a ton of like MSG and strong flavors into it to cover up the fact that it's like not great quality. Whereas if you're going to eat like a sea scallop, it doesn't right. need like that heavy duty. Like you don't throw like a hot sauce on it because you don't need to. Right. Well, that's right, but and I'm glad you mentioned that because there are other, um, I guess, accoutrements, um, 
or or um, additives to foods that you would add that feel like they do other things. So a sea scallop, I would not need like uh, cayenne pepper, right. but I would use a lemon. Oh yeah, because it feels like it's doing something mm-hmm. right. But in fish. general, like fancier foods have more sort of subtle flavoring. I don't know if I agree You're with that. You're not like piling on heavy duty spices and stuff. Well, well, yes. Okay. And this is a very me thing. You're right. For mm-hmm. instance, if we had like mac and cheese in the house, right? I would rock that baby full of stuff that it would be unrecognizable as any human food. Right. The time I was done with it. All sorts of hot sauces and spices and mm-hmm. jalapenos and, and um, ghost peppers that, that are blended up, et cetera. I would make that thing unrecognizable if we were doing a bone-in ribeye that would not get that treatment obviously right. it would certainly get some spices uh yeah, just salt doing... to draw out some mm-hmm. salt and but, pepper but but no 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 no. remember that... we talked about before that the queen of england doesn't or she didn't used to like allow garlic served at any meals for the royal family no i don't recall that i think we talked about it before but like i think it's like the extreme case of that you know i think like the british aristocracy does not do strong flavors that makes sense to me. <laughs> they only do missionary flavors. <laughs> that is it. That is it. No, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. And I wonder if there was a... I have no idea. I mean, certainly the uh, British Empire made their way through Tuscany at one point. Didn't they realize that, wow, everything here tastes awesome? <laughs> or was it like too ethnic? <laughs> Probably too ethnic. It's like in, um, what's it called? It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, doesn't Mr. Potter eaters. call them garlic eaters? Yes, but, but uh, which is a compliment, not a slur. Yeah, we are we way. are known to We're roast garlic, garlic and just eat cups of it. It's the best stuff on earth, and no matter how offensive it makes you smell or whatever, it's worth it. You don't need friends. <laughs> garlic is more important than anything else. It's absolutely and totally gorgeous, like garlic in oil. And my God. I mean, what else do you need in the world? Like beautiful linguine with garlic and oil. I'm going to be getting myself upset now because I'm thinking about my addictions. Oh, that's wonderful. By the way, I've got a new, here's a new, um, I was talking to my daughter, uh, Sally Shattuck. Are you familiar? I have met her, yes. Um, and I just thought of something. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a way to reverse engineer so that we can tackle this. So we go sometimes to Putnam Pantry. Yeah. Which is the smorgas, I can't say the word. Smorgasbord? Yep. Um, a few miles away, either in Peabody or Danvers or whatever down there. And so it's one of these things where you get the ice cream, two scoops or whatever, and then you put every topping in the world on it and overdo it. Well, what I've noticed is this. Mm-hmm. Is that most of the kids, not all, but most, n- never quite finish it. It's just a lot of stuff. Right. And I've also noticed that what they leave at the bottom is the best part of it. Mm-hmm. It's a, this swill of like the marshmallow and fudge and butterscotch and all the beautiful things have sunk to the bottom, but that's left. So there's got to be a way that we can start with the bottom. There's got to be a way. Mm. It, well, sometimes people do a cone and like bite the bottom off the cone. Yeah, but a cone can't contain everything. But I do appreciate that. There's mm-hmm. no doubt. Like, there are times as well when, and I haven't really been doing this in the last year or so, but when I would make my uh, spaghetti with clam sauce or linguine with clam sauce. Yep. Um, 
hold on um that i would eat so much that there would be in the bottom i wouldn't be able to finish it and the bottom would be clam sauce mixed with crushed red pepper mixed with parmesan cheese and the bottom part that's the best part that's remaining there sitting there I also find that the same way with like uh, even like chicken parm and stuff. The stuff at the bottom is the best. Bring yeah. me back to my Napoleon thing. I wish sometimes we could start there at the bottom. So I need somebody to invent something. Okay. Just the bottom stuff, or maybe it can be that. Um, maybe that that could be it. That we that we. Just make you know how they did with Seinfeld. They made muffin tops, mm-hmm. and you can actually get those at some places. Yeah, because that's the best part. It's the only part worth it, right? Because it's got the little crusty top on it, crusty yeah. top with the like sugar crystals in there and caramelized mm-hmm. or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we need that more. We need just the best parts of everything. <laughs> Which brings me to and thank you so much, Alice. That was lovely for my birthday. My birthday cake slice that Alice gave me was all frosting. And of course it is, because who wants a sponge? No use for the sponge. It doesn't do anything. Just give me the straight up stuff. It's a, it's the same way with like nachos are cheese with little handles called chips. Right. But nachos are about topping. So Right. So if places make nachos so that there is a lot of inside that's just chips and the cheese and stuff is just on the outside, then yes, it's problematic because then you end up you eat the outside and there's no nachos left. We're doing chips. chips, yeah, in the middle, which is just work. And a good nacho maker will know this. Oh, yeah, you have to multi-layer the cheese in there. And that's why a lot of times I think that it's either having a fat guy in the kitchen or somebody with a fat guy mentality is mm-hmm. very important. Very important. One time me and um, – what's that pl- the roast beef place in Wakefield Melrose Line there? Is it – Named after the pond maybe? What's a pond in... No, isn't it like a Billy's Roast Beef or something? Is it? Uh, it might be. I thought it was named, named after the pond. But, uh, um, but you know, 10, maybe even 15 years ago, me and a bunch of other fat guys um, walked in there together. Billy's Famous Roast Beef. Okay. And the guy behind the counter was also a fat guy. And the guy just knew. He just knew how to take care of us. And it was beautiful and messy and mayo-y and barbecue-y and it was just freaking perfect and that's why you know you know this is controversial but that's why one of my affections for jen royal is she's not a fat guy but she gets fat guys and really good cooks get fat guys that's important and actually let's record show you're a beautiful and thin woman but you do have a fat guy palate sometimes mm-hmm. you get it you know mm-hmm. And I certainly know how to uh, go overboard when making food. Uh, oh, you totally do. It's almost offensive in the in the ways you've done it, which is your way of saying you love me, which is, I appreciate. But uh, yeah, the inch and a half thick butter glistening with rainbow color is uh, what I live for, which is why you're so lovely, Alice. Well, I hate nostalgia because I can't climb up that hill without thinking I hate nostalgia, still think about you It's been so long, I'm so lame I hate nostalgia Hope you hate it too Hope you wonder What am I doing and who I'm pursuing 
hope you think I lead a really exotic life the way I think about you. You probably have a wife of your job and you go to church on Sundays and barbecue on weekends out in your backyard. And sometimes think about me.